This episode of the Trek Geeks podcast is brought to you by Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery companion. Break down each week's brand new episode of the sixth live-action Star Trek series with us every Monday during the season. To subscribe on your iPhone, Android, or other device, visit our website at discoveringtrek.com. Hi, this is Andy Robinson, Elam Garrick on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little podcast this side of the Gamma Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks podcast with Dan Davidson and Bill Smith. Failure to tune in would not sit well with the Obsidian Order. Little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant, your independent Star Trek podcast. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Trek Geeks. Happy New Year! It's 2018. We're back from our holiday break, and we're excited you're here with us. We have a great episode on tap for you today. It's episode number 125. I'm your co-host Bill Smith, and joining me, as he does every single episode, you know, he's got a lot in common with one particular character on Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, in that. He also could not fix a straw if it were bent. He's the very uh, lobtastical Dan Davidson. Dan, how you doing, buddy? Happy New Year. Welcome back. Happy New Year to you. It is great to be here as always. Episode 125, and it's kind of cool that today we're kicking off DS9 25. Yes, that's very cool. I'm very excited for this because this is our this is our Star Trek. This is our favorite sh- show out of mm. all of the series. It absolutely is. I've I've been looking forward to this for a while. You know, last year we had TNG 30, and that was great. Awesome uh, convention moments. Some great pins from our friends at Fansets. Of course, the 30th anniversary pin was phenomenal. But I have been dying to get to this year for DS925. For some reason, for me. The 25th anniversary of Deep Space Nine is far more important to me than TNG 30 is. I don't know why, but it just is probably because it's our favorite series and that's okay. I think it, it resonates more with us. I mean, TNG is is amazing and fantastic and wonderful. Mm-hmm. And there's so many great stories in that series and with those movies. But DS9, you know, it, it is very personal for both of us. And I think that's probably why. I remember being at the STLV five years ago for DS920, and that's where I got my photo taken with uh, with members of the cast. And man, what a convention that was! And I, I can't wait for this year come August. But we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, Dan, other people may be excited about DS925, or the fact that it's 2018, or or the fact that we still have brand new Star Trek on television. How might they get those thoughts to us, sir? Thanks, man. It's uh, it's easier than ever to get in touch with us, actually. Head on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and there you can find a variety of ways to send us your thoughts, 
And, you know, Bill and I want to hear from you. So please, please check it out. Uh, you can leave us a voicemail. You can Skype chat us. or You can even fill out the contact form and send us a message directly. It's very, very easy to do. Plus, don't forget, you can also click on the big blue button on the right side of the website and, leave us le- and even leave us a voice message using SpeakPipe, which is pretty cool also. And, uh, hey, we'd love it as always if you would join our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. Always great th- things happening over there. Lessons on how to speak properly might show up one of these days. There's Star <laughs> Trek talk. There's Star Trek picks, contests, polls. Plus, you're also going to get early access to the episodes of the Trek Geek podcast before they're released just because we love everybody in Camp Kittimer that much. So to join the group, just go on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. And our wonderful admins, Heather, Jackie, or Dan, will let you write in to join in on all the fun. And Bill, it's very important. These words resonate with everybody listening to the podcast this week. I'm listening. Please remember that uh, any comments or messages you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode. Okay? Okay. Thank you, Dan. That was fantastic. I love it. So uh, I'm going to surprise you with a little something here. We haven't talked about this before, but um, we're going to talk a little bit about what 2017 meant for Trek geeks. Now, um, I've got some numbers for you. Are you interested to hear these? Math is hard. Math is hard, but these are all great numbers. Okay. Dan, Dan, as you'll recall, back on April 5th, of 2017, so nine months ago, mm-hmm. we hit our 100,000th lifetime download. You and I were were very excited about that. We talked about it on the podcast. Yes. In 2017, Dan, we actually served up 124,000 downloads from our feeds. Wow. <laughs> that is, okay, see see now folks, this is something I've not been told any of this information. This is all new to me. That is amazing and wow. Thank you to everybody out there because that is that's a big number. I like that number. Well, we're not done. So of course we had uh we had two shows now whereas a year ago at this time we only had the one. We have Trek Geeks and Discovering Trek. In uh, 2017 we produced 47 episodes of Trek Geeks. 47. Oh. And we produced so far 11 episodes of Discovering Trek for a total of 58 uh, varied (laughs) episodes with our mellifluous tones. Now, keep in mind, a lot of those episodes are over an hour. And there's one episode in particular, Dan, that is three hours long. (laughs) Um, That is, of course, uh, our landmark 100th episode, A Journey to Futures Past. So, um, so that's kind of a, a quick look at, at 2017 by the numbers. It was a uh, it was a pretty incredible year for us, I'll say. That's pretty amazing. I'm 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 honored and flattered. Uh, all the all the all the good feels that you can think of. Um, 47. I like that, and I hope that Larry Nemechek hears this because I'm sure he will have something to say about it. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I have every confidence that he will. Um, I echo your sentiments. Uh, a huge thanks to everybody that listens. It was a, a great year for us. It was a little, it was a bit of a daunting task to produce two shows, but I think we've got it down to a science at this point. But uh, so much Star Trek, buddy. So much. So much and so much more. As you said just a few minutes ago, we've got new Trek happening right now. First time seen on television, and it's just so amazing. Uh, you know, there's rumors about movies, and and there's all kinds of good stuff happening. Of course, Vegas is going to be happening again, as it always does this August. 
it's going to be a trek filled year i think uh, uh unlike anything we may have ever seen before with this anniversary of ds9 and discovery and all those other things going on love it It'll be interesting to see what 2018 brings. We've got some things that we're working on. And I think when we take a look at uh, (laughs) next year this time, I think we're going to be pretty amazed by everything. But uh, here's uh, here's to the new year, my friend. Absolutely. And I would not want to do it with anybody else but you, buddy. Thanks. And it's time for the news from treknews.net. Da, 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 da. Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. Da, 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 da. For all the news on all the Star Treks, yo. Da, 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 da. It's treknews.net. Da, 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 da. Online at treknews.net. And Dan, up first, as people hear this, Discovery's second chapter will have begun, and it was an episode directed by uh, just a favorite member of the Star Trek family. Absolutely, without question, a favorite. It's just so cool to think that uh, we've dis- we've discussed the celebration of TNG 30, and now back on Star Trek sets, Mr. Jonathan Frakes was behind the camera directing episode 10, Despite Yourself. It is so cool to have someone with such a Star Trek past be taking part in creating this new Star Trek. Just phenomenal. I'm so excited. Yeah, Jonathan has directed, you know, a, a variety of episodes across various Star Trek series. He's directed two Star Trek films. He's directed a whole bunch of other stuff from Agents of Shield to the Librarians to uh you name it. You know, his his credentials are 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 storied and and they are bona fide. And uh, I am so psyched that there is this tie back to the family because I, he's a fantastic director and he just puts out quality stuff. Absolutely. I kind of hope that this opens the door for other folks that have, um, director, uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, they've directed other Star Trek episodes before. Like uh, I believe uh, um, Robert Duncan McNeil has directed some some Star Trek in the past, and uh, Andrew J. Robinson has done some direction. I'd love to see other past Star Trek alum come in and do some direction. But Jonathan Frakes, I think, is right up there at the top as as post Star Trek directors. I think I would. I'd love to see them. I'd love to see Roxanne Dawson. I'd love yes. to see. Um, Lavar Patrick Burton, Lavar's directed a whole bunch of episodes. Patrick mm-hmm. Stewart. Uh, ever, I'd love to see Gates McFadden direct again. I, I would love yes. to see as many Trek family members come back as possible. And uh, all we can do is hope. But um, it, it's pretty special to see Jonathan Frake's name on the screen. I'm not going to lie. It was also very awesome to see the the picture that uh, uh, Discovery tweeted out over the weekend of his director's chair, Jonathan Frakes, number one on his director's chair. That was pretty cool. Best director's chair ever. Oh, I tell you <laughs> what. Dan, moving on. So the story about a Quentin Tarantino-led Star Trek film is picking up steam. You don't sound too happy about that, pal. 
I, I'm neither unhappy nor happy. I'm just, I'm still kind of in a, a mild state of shock. Yeah, it, it is shocking that it is picking up steam, uh, as you just mentioned. Uh, as a matter of fact, Paramount has actually chosen a writer for the project, and his name is Mark L. Smith. You may know him uh, for writing The Revenant which starred Leonardo DiCaprio and Star Trek alum Tom Hardy. So that's very interesting that he does have that uh, Star Trek tie, kind of. Um, Also, Patrick Stewart was quoted once he heard about the whole Tarantino possibility that he's all for having Picard return in some way possible, if possible, if Quentin is directing the project. So that's got a very interesting twist to it. Um, you know, Tarantino was also supposed to do a film version of The Man from Uncle at one point years ago, and nothing ever came of that. So, is this going to happen? Nobody knows. It's all kind of speculation right now from a fan's perspective, but uh, uh, it it's not going away. the The articles and the stories just keep coming out. So, I flash back to the time before Star Trek Beyond, <laughs> and you know, before that movie was written by. Um, by Simon, Simon and Doug, it was supposed to be written by Payne and McKay. Those two guys who, um, had written some other stuff and they were brought on to write the third Star Trek movie in the Kelvin timeline. And then they were all of a sudden gone from the project. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Simon Pegg was saying, well, they, well, he's writing now. Um, writers change, directors change. I, I have, I have every belief that Quentin Tarantino wants to do a Star Trek movie. I just am not going to believe he's actually going to do it until it's actually rolling. And even then, yeah, because look at what happened in the, in the star Wars universe this year with directors and projects. Oh, that's true. That's a very good point. Now, the one thing that I will say I'm very excited about is we all know how much of a Star Trek fan Quentin Tarantino is. And we just talked a few minutes ago about how awesome it is to have people that know Star Trek and love it as much as the people in Discovery love it doing the show. So that's a plus, but there's a lot of question marks and a lot of oh boy moments that you have to think about when you think about his, you know, his whole his whole uh, list of works that he's done uh, over the years. But I'm sure there'll be new stuff coming out soon to let us know uh, just how far this is going to go. You know, and I don't disagree with you. It's always nice to have people who love and respect the franchise. But I ha- every time that gets brought up, I go back to Nick Meyer when we're talking about making films. Mm-hmm. A man who is not a, was not a Star Trek fan when he did Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan, which still to this day, true, you know, thirty six years later is the gold standard of Star Trek movies. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll see what happens. I if Quentin really is going to do the movie, I I hope it's the best one yet. As I hope with every Star Trek movie. Exactly. I mean, I'm going to look at it uh, as we have done. You know, it doesn't always happen out on social media. We certainly know that. But whatever happens, if this happens, I'm going to be excited for it. I'm going to be positive about it. And I'm going to look forward to it until I don't have a reason to look forward to it. Exactly. That's all we can do. Right. So, Dan, uh, we, as you mentioned, we're gathering today to talk about the celebration of the 25th anniversary of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And – the celebration has begun and your ears are going to be very, very happy. Oh, very happy indeed. As this episode drops, actually, um, La La Land Records will be releasing the Deep Space Nine Collection Volume 2, which I am 
definitely going to be ordering. Um, it goes on sale January 9th uh, at lalalandrecords.com. There are going to be over 100 tracks on this uh, collection of Deep Space Nine music spanning all seven seasons. And you can get it for $60 over at La La Land Records. I have the 50th anniversary Star Trek uh, collection that La La Land Records put out. It is phenomenal. And I am looking forward to adding this to my collection uh, on the 9th of January. I think the real reveal here to me is that this is a volume two, and I had no idea there was a volume one. Very good point. I did not know that until you just brought it up. So good for you. Hey, it makes me wonder how many tracks are on the first volume. My word, this is 100 tracks? Yeah, and uh, if you want to go to uh, treknews.net and pull up this article, it lists all 100 tracks. So uh, there's a lot of good stuff in there. I can't wait to listen to it. It sounds like such a bargain. Oh, my God. I may have to get this myself. Or maybe somebody will get it for you. Oh, that would be oh. nice. Thank you. It won't be um, me, but, you know. Oh, oh now it's awkward. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Dan... A little bit ago, you and I were nominated for an award uh, in the Parsec Awards, which we were very honored by. But um, yeah, we didn't win. No, <laughs> no, we didn't win. That's okay uh, because John and Ken didn't win either. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, that's true. We were nominated with a bunch of people um, for uh, for for one of the categories. We were one of five finalists and. The Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast over at the Nerd Party uh, Podcast Network won, and we congratulate them. But uh, it, um, you know, you know how the old adage is: it, it's an honor to just be nominated. It really is. You know, it I'm, really is. I'm glad you said that because I was going to say the exact same thing. I am so humbled by the fact that we've only been doing this for a couple of years, and we were a finalist in this, in this category at the Parsec Awards. That's tremendous honor. I think um, we certainly share the same thought on that, that, you know, you hear people say all the time at the Oscars, Oh, it's an, it's just so great to be nominated. It really is um, until it happens to you. You won't know what the feeling is like, it, you know, it's, you know, they came out finally, we were waiting for how long before they came out and they came out new year's day. It was a little bit of a disappointment, but at the same time, there's nothing to really be disappointed about because we got a whole nother year to do stuff. Of of all the podcasts that entered into the Parsec Awards, you know, and these are chosen by a, a panel of people, so it's not internet vote. You know, they they deemed that the five finalists were the the, the best of that year's crop, and we were among those. and And I can't be I can't be bummed about that. You know, we we put together a, an episode that I thought was pretty special, that hundredth episode, mm -hmm. and um, and a lot of people thought so too. And uh, I, I can't thank everybody enough for their their response to it. And I can't thank the Parsec Awards Committee enough for their consideration. Yeah, uh, I, I uh, echo those sentiments. I also want to th throw out some special thanks to uh, to Vic Mignana and the entire cast and crew at Star Trek Continues for having us come down and visit their set back uh, a couple of Novembers ago, which is what episode 100 was all about. I also want to thank you, man, because as I've said many times before, this was your idea to get this thing started, and we've had such a great ride with it. And to have something like this happen after only a short amount of time makes me look so much more forward to what we've got coming up in the coming year. So I thank you as well. And also thank all the people and all the listeners for, for putting up with us week after week and, uh, and enjoying our shenanigans. <laughs> I love that word shenanigans. Um, I, I have to agree with everything you just said. I especially want to thank everybody in Camp Kittimer. Um, 
our official Facebook group for the, for our podcasts, they, everybody in camp has been so fantastic and so supportive and we have such a great vibe going on over there. And, and we are, um, our fandom is bolstered by everybody else out there. I think it's safe to say, Dan, it's such a, uh, it's a positive place, you know, where we try to keep the trolling to a minimum. And I genuinely appreciate the conversation that goes on over there. Um, for all the interaction we have over there, this was as much for them as it was for us. And, um, I, I can't thank everybody in camp Kittimer enough. And, and honestly, I I have to thank, you know, uh, John and Ken from mission log because they Mm -hmm. were always an inspiration for Trek geeks as was, uh, you know, the the Trek FM show standard orbit, uh, standard orbit, pardon me, you know, with our, our, our old friend Norman Lau when he was on there and, uh, and the chief Ken trip and, uh, and a whole bunch of people. So, um, and of course, buddy, uh, I, I thank you for, for saying no, because <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it made me convinced that we should do it all the more. So, um, what's a podcast? <laughs> what's a, no, I don't want to do that. What's a podcast. That's how it went. God's honest truth. Yep. Um, so I, I'm excited, you know, uh, we have a hell of a time doing this every week and we're just glad that people, you know, put us in their ears and, and listen to us do goofy stuff. <laughs> very well put, buddy. Absolutely. Uh, it's just been a great ride and, and I'm very thankful. You and me both. And lastly, Dan, um, over the, uh, the holiday break, there was a bit of a, uh, a facelift to trekgeeks.com and you saw it for the first time, New Year's Eve. And, um, let's get your instant reaction here on the Trek Geeks podcast. Wow. That's the best you could do. <laughs> no, well, I did all the Dude. work. So somebody's got to say. <laughs> I know. I, I got to tell you, man, and and folks, go check it out. Bill has outdone himself. This site is it is sexy. It is modern. It's got great, great content to it. It is it is beautifully redesigned, man. You know, the old one. You know, just basically, you could go click on an episode and listen to it. You've got all the cool stuff. You got the streaming. You got you know, just click the button right there, and you're listening. It is it is really cool. You should be very proud of the work you've done here, man. It looks good. Well, thanks, buddy. You know, we uh we knew we were in need of a of a bit of an upgrade in the website department and we wanted a place that was worthy of uh of both of our shows now. And uh because you know, we do have Discovering Trek also, and it just made sense to um to take that downtime and, and put it to some good use. So I'm uh I'm excited. I'm I'm happy with how it came out. Um, I'm sure I'm going to find things that I'm going to tweak here and there, but, uh, you know, here's hoping that, um, we get some good use out of it. As long as the story about my enterprise is on the website forever, I will always give it a thumbs up. Um, oh, um, okay. I'll be right back. Before we get into today's discussion, we want to remind everyone that we've made it even easier for people to subscribe to both Trek Geeks and also to Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion. Head on over to podfleet.com and find out how you can get both of our podcasts directly on your iPod, iPhone, Android, or other device. Plus, you can even stream our podcasts using Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Stitcher. It's your independent Star Trek podcasts delivered your way, so join the Podfleet and make it so. Dan, Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, no, don't do that, because all I'm going to do is think of that YouTube video where the guy makes up the lyrics <laughs> to the Deep Space Nine thing. 
<laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> Whoa. Not, not Deep Space A. Um, but Deep Space Nine. So uh, we've been looking forward to this one for a while, as we talked about a little earlier. Um, you know, last year at this time, I asked you where you were when you first watched Next Gen. And you didn't, you didn't really remember. So where were you when you first watched Emissary, the pilot for Deep Space Nine? Did you watch it uh, on January 3rd? Actually, actually, um, uh, not to sound mean or anything, but I got to correct you a little bit. I remember exactly where I was for TNG's first episode. I haven't the slightest idea where I was for Emissary or if I even saw it the first week. Oh, isn't that weird? Yeah. I, yeah. I was in, I was at Colorado state university for the premiere of uh, star Trek, the next generation at a friend's dorm who had a TV and a whole bunch of us sat there and watched it. I don't remember what I was doing with emissary. I really don't. Isn't that sad? Yes. Especially yeah. since it's your favorite show. <laughs> I know. Uh huh. I, I mean, I'm, I'm sure I watched it. Um, uh, and I'm sure I watched it when it first came out. I just don't remember where I was, what I was doing. It, it's just, I, I don't know. I was living in Denver at the time. Mm -hmm. So this was, this was 93. Yeah. 93. And, um, I was delivering pizza (laughs) because that's what a kid in his twenties does in Denver, I suppose. (laughs) And, uh, I watched it that weekend. It was on channel two in Denver and I, it came on right after next gen which I thought was awesome because mm-hmm. that channel had, uh, had both next gen and DS nine. So you get to watch them back to back on Saturdays. Right. And, um, I didn't quite know what to make of it at first. Right. I, you know, I, I, I thought it was great. You know, I had some initial reactions to the characters, but, um, I, I was taping them all on VHS at the time. And I actually went back and watched it again after I was done. Because I felt like I needed to see it again to understand it. So I, in a way, I kind of binged it before it was, you know, binging was really a thing. Mm -hmm. So when you finally saw Emissary the very first time, forget when it was, but um, what was your reaction to the premiere? I wasn't, I wasn't, it wasn't a very positive reaction. I got to say the first time I saw Emissary, I thought it was really cool that they brought Locutus in and that was all great. But then as the episode progressed, and they got to the station. I'm like, I'm like, Jesus Christ, are they going to ever fix the lights? It was so annoying that the lights were constantly blinking in and out because the station was such a wreck after the Cardassians left. And that was something that really bothered me for a big chunk of the episode. It was distracting. And it was like, oh, my God, if this is what it's going to be like, this is not going to be a good thing. And then the whole um, – the prophets and – and all that came in and, and the flashes with Jennifer. It was very confusing to me. Uh, the first time I saw it, I wasn't really sure what to make of it. I wasn't what really sure what to make of Avery's acting and the way he did things. I wasn't really sure what to make of his bathing suit on the beach scenes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it was a, uh, I think at the time I, I was like, oh, oh God, I hope this gets better because right now I'm re- really too happy about it. It's fun. <laughs> the bathing suit. <laughs> All I can think of in that scene is when he goes, ow! <laughs> I was just going to do that. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> you know, that scene with Picard in the observation lounge oh. aboard the Enterprise is one of my favorite scenes in the whole mm-hmm. of Deep Space Nine. 
because there is just this Awkward. this intensity and this there is this rage underneath the surface of Benjamin Cisco in that mm-hmm. scene and it's all he can do to hold it in and when you realize or when you see the look on on Picard's face when you know Cisco says you know it's it's been a while since you know Wolf 359 and you see just that look wash over oh. Picard it's like oh man yeah it's this it's, is not going to go well yeah it's not going to go well and i felt horrible for Picard. You know, we all know that he could he he couldn't control what was going on, but Cisco certainly didn't see it that way and that hatred that he shows for Picard and then Picard's like just like his shoulders just droop. Um but I'll tell you what, he is he is a Starfleet officer because he just, you know, he puts that aside very quickly. There's that momentary look of of anguish and uh-oh, but then he puts it all away. And uh, he does a great job uh, trying to tell Cisco that he's got a responsibility. But of course, Cisco then just kind of in the meantime, I mean, that whole it's one. You're right. It's one of the best scenes in Deep Space Nine history is great. You know, it's one of the few times we don't get yelling Cisco because Cisco mm-hmm. does like to yell. He's a yeller. Mm-hmm. But just that that very, you know, incredibly intense boiling just under the surface in that scene just really is unnerving to me. So I went back and watched Emissary um, just the other day. Yes, I, I saw that. I like to do that every now and then. And um, I, I decided I'm going to do a Deep Space Nine rewatch this year. I just, you know, watch a few episodes every weekend. And watching that pilot again, it's like, wow. You know, and then you think back in, in 25 years of hindsight and go, all right, there's two amazing actors on that set. There's Sir Patrick Stewart who obviously you know, we don't need to talk about his qualifications. Mm-hmm. And then there's Avery Brooks, who certainly is no slouch. The man is an amazing actor. And you get those two guys on that set with those characters and that intensity. Mm-hmm. And I, it is just, you know, if I were, if I were writing this, this would be like my dream. Yeah. That's the scene I want. It It's... <laughs> I don't know how to put this in the right way. It, I really wish that, that that scene is brilliant in what I, I will say that the, the beginning part um, is brilliant. We get to see JG Hertzler, which is always good. First words ever spoken on deep space nine, which I think is pretty cool. Um, we get that whole battle at Wolf three, five, nine flashback. And then a little bit later on, we get that scene. I wish that scene was a little bit more into the episode because after that scene is where I started like, oh, boy. I mean, we had a little bit of stuff at the beginning before the scene where he was kind of going through the station and, and things were broken and people were running around. But that scene was extremely powerful. And then stuff, I thought, trailed off for quite a while in that, in that episode. Um, but, there, but as you said, amazing, amazing people uh, on that, uh, in that scene and in the episode. I got to say one thing. One of the things that I think is amazing about this series, and it goes right from the very beginning of, of, of Emissary, is Nog. When you see what he is like in Emissary, and then when you see what happens in the very last episode, that is a great bookend character, Some of uh, along the likes that we've never seen in Star Trek series before. I just think that that is brilliant how they handled Nog in the, in the series. Nog is one of the best character arcs in the whole of Star Trek, quite mm-hmm. honestly. Um, you know, and I'm sure that's, that's what, that's what I think we're going to talk about as this year progresses. Quite honestly, it's like you're peeking ahead of my notes. Nice job, Dan. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so I, I have to say that I do remember watching Emissary for the very first time on that night, that Saturday night in Denver. We're getting to the scene where, you know, the Saratoga, people are starting to evacuate. And Cisco goes back to his quarters to find that Jennifer's dead. And the raw emotion that that Avery brings to Cisco in that scene, I, I'm not going to lie. I found myself crying during that scene in 1993 as I was watching it because it was just so visceral. You know, he was he literally had to be ripped out of there. And that's, that's really what it was. Yeah. And I thought to myself watching this is we, we haven't seen this in Star Trek before, you know, there we, we've seen loss, you know, we've seen people lose family members or, or loved ones in Star Trek, but there wasn't that kind of, uh, well, losing it for want of a better word, because you know there was a time during the run of Next Gen where where Gene was trying to convince people that you know we're kind of over death, mm-hmm. and I there is no bigger contradiction to that than the reaction that Benjamin Cisco has when his wife Jennifer is lying there motionless. I, I got to say yes with that scene, and then when they are leaving in the escape pod or shuttlecraft or whatever they're in. When yeah. they're going away and the ship explodes, he doesn't even flinch. I mean, it's no. it's a complete 180 of what he was like when he had to get ripped out of the quarters to when he's sitting there watching it explode. He doesn't even blink an eye. And that, that's, that was powerful in itself. It's amazing because, you know, in the course of the episode, I mean, you know, the, the prophets demonstrate to Cisco that, that he exists there, that he keeps bringing himself back there. Mm-hmm. And I think that that moment is is really pivotal to this entire series because it is who Benjamin Sisko is at that moment. His journey as the emissary of the prophets, you know, uh, in this series, kind of kicks off that moment because it's what started him toward Deep Space Nine. Yeah, and he's he's broken. You know, now he's he's a, a single parent. He's trying to raise a son, and as he says to Picard, it's not the best environment to be doing that. So already we've got a, a commanding officer who is in a much different situation than say Kirk or Picard, because it's not just the lives under his command. He has to worry about it's the, the one he helped to bring into this world as well. Right. And, and I'm sure we're going to get into the whole uh, Jake and, and um, Ben relationship as, as the year goes through. One of the things I also wanted to point out about that first scene that I think is very important in the shape of the show. And that is, you know, not to sound heartless, Jennifer could have died anywhere. She could have been on a shuttle accident. She could have been in a transporter accident and away mission hit by a car and at Starfleet headquarters in San Francisco, anything. They pulled the best cliffhanger episode in what I think is possibly television history back in to really grab the viewers with the battle at Wolf 359. I thought the writing for to, to do it that way was phenomenal. It really showed that the staff at the time were going to do what they could to make sure that this got on the map. And I, I applaud them for that, even though I didn't like the rest of the episode, at least the first time I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think it's a direct testament to Michael Pillar, you know, mm-hmm. and and his writing, you know, in Best of Both Worlds Part One, and in his direction for you know Deep Space Nine and getting that that off the ground, you know, already we've got a, a series of characters who are who are interesting and, and likable. 
And unlike, you know, the, the two crews we'd seen before this don't necessarily look like they fit together or work together well. And I think that's really the draw to deep space nine. You can say that again. I'll tell you what, um, I did not like Kira the first couple of times we saw her on that show. I'm like, Oh my God, this, whoa. I'm like, okay, she needs to calm down a little bit. I mean, the sarcasm when 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 uh, Cisco says something, oh, I thought you'd say hi before I take over the office or something. I, I don't remember the exact quote, but she's just like, hi. And I'm like, oh, my God, I want to slap you. Of course, I love – I mean, Kira's one of the best characters on the show. But that what we talked about before, that whole first time I saw the episode, I was just kind of like, oh. I was like, okay, who's this Odo guy and why does he look like the guy from Terminator 2? I mean, it was those kind of things <laughs> that I was thinking at the time. <laughs> why does he look like the guy from terminator 2 you're killing me um you know i have to i loved kira right off the bat you know i thought that scene was slightly awkward you know where you know Cisco goes well you know we can say hello but we can do this in whatever order you like and then i'll you know then i'll take the office um i thought odo was interesting oh i loved odo but i just thought he I looked thought- funny I, I i'm glad that they improved odo's appearance in the makeup mm-hmm over the next few episodes after that. Yes. But I have to tell you that, you know, the character that I hear a lot about how people just didn't like at first is one I really dug was, was Bashir. Um, simply because he was that green. This was his first time on the frontier. And when he gets into that, that sort of, uh, that dialogue in, in the infirmary with Kira saying, you know, this, you know, I'm doing frontier medicine, you know, this yeah. is, this is great. And she's like, yeah, this is my home buddy. <laughs> Um, yes. I think that is such a great scene because it tells you everything you need to know about Julian and it, it punctuates even more the things you know about Kira. I just think it, it's a great conflict between those two characters already. And I think that's one of the reasons why I took to this series so quickly. Yes, uh, I agree with that. Back to Odo for a second before I get my comments about Bashir is, yeah, I totally agree. The makeup the first few episodes really wasn't right but i've always looked at it as hey he's a changeling he just kind of started getting better at making him look like he had a different face than everybody else does that make sense yeah <laughs> so, no absolutely uh, does. I, I, I like it I, I i gotta say i loved quarks uh, i'm sorry i loved odo's um demeanor right off the bat even though i didn't like kira's kind of contradicting itself a little bit, but I just liked the idea of the Odo character right off the bat. Um, I love how he didn't like weapon. He didn't carry a weapon, even though he was the constable, which I also thought was funny that he hated being called that, but he was called that by Cisco for the entire run of the series. Um, I thought that was great. I, I loved Bashir from the beginning. I thought he was going to be a great um, spark uh, to the to the cast, I, I liked his I liked his boyish uh, eagerness um, on that frontier, like like you said just a minute ago. But I gotta say, um, I love that they brought O'Brien on because O'Brien's always been one of my favorite characters, and I just love Colmini. I have never liked Keiko on the show. I just didn't think she fit in. Um, and when she was there for the first episode, I didn't like her on TNG either. I just didn't, not so much, uh, Rosalind Chow, it's just the, the Keiko character. Um, and so when I saw that, that they were both there, I was like, oh, and then they did episodes with her really, really, um, focused on her character. Um, so I was like, oh, is that going to hurt the show or not? There were a couple episodes that, that were really good when she was taken over by a pa Wraith was one of the standouts, I think for her, um. It, you said it before, though. Just all of the this mash of characters 
that we've never seen in Star Trek before where they don't agree and don't get along was something that we weren't familiar or even comfortable with for that matter. It's one of the things that, that that keeps me coming back to deep space nine. You know, um, I, I truly love the way the Bashir character was written to start with. And then I love the twist with him partway through the series where it's revealed he's, you know, genetically engineered. Mm. And, uh, I just, I thought it was, I thought it was fantastic. What a great way to turn that character on its, on its ear. But, yes. um, I, I love the fact that there was the dynamic between Cisco and Dax, you know, this, this woman who is 28 years old, but, you know, really is 328 years old because of the symbiont, <laughs> you know, that, that she is hosting. And then the fact that it's, it's a, a revisiting of a relationship for Cisco because, you know, he knew Curzon so well, Curzon was a mentor. And I love that right off the bat, he started calling her old man because it, it established that familiarity and that, that relationship that you knew that, that there was a friendship there that had, that had some, some life to it. You know, it had some, some longevity. And I, that's one of the things that I really, those little character nuances that I think work in Deep Space Nine ex- exceedingly well. Were you confused uh, with the beginning of Deep Space Nine, specifically when it came to Dax, based on what we saw for Trills and TNG? Because I thought that was, that threw everything on its ear. I, I wasn't confused. I just, I figured that, you know, they, they, it was probably a production decision to not do the, the same makeup mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe uh, even back then I was like, okay, so she's a trill. All right. I get it. Um, but no, I wasn't, I wasn't confused. I thought that they probably wanted a better way to go. Okay. Um, I agree with you also that the relationship between the two, the old man is maybe one of the best nicknames um, in any TV show. When you're looking at a beautiful 28 year old Terry Farrell or however old she was um, being called all being called old man. I just got a kick out of that every time Cisco says it. Absolutely. I do too. You know, you talked about O'Brien a second ago. I have to say that at the time now, granted 25 years ago, that was the one character I wasn't excited about being on really? Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Interesting. I have to confess that. I um because I'm like, wait a second, this guy, he's he's a chief. You know, he's <laughs> chief petty officer. He's he's not, he's not even commissioned. He's gonna be the chief engineer of the space station. Um uh hey. were were all the other commissioned officers who were also engineers busy? He <laughs> had a lot of a lot of experience. He stood in that transporter room day in and day out on the Enterprise. He deserved to be chief engineer of Deep Space Nine. Well, transporter room three was his favorite. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, that was that was the one thing I just I wasn't sure about. I mean, I understand that they wanted some of that continuity, and and don't get me wrong, I love Cole Meany. I I've mm-hmm. grown to love O'Brien because at the time I wasn't exactly sure how they were going to treat the character or what they were going to do with him. But I just remember going, uh, O'Brien, the guy no. in the transporter room? Mm-mm. What? Oh, I was um, psyched. I, it, well, you know, I'm, I'm interested to hear that because I, uh, at the time I was not, and I'm glad I was wrong. Oh, yeah. I mean, th- that character developed so well uh, on DS9. I mean, we got to see glimpses of what Colm could do on 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 TNG, especially in, uh, I think it was Power Play, when uh, they were taken over by those 
uh, energy beings and uh, they took the parts of the crew hostage. Um, that was a good episode for him. And, but he had so many shining moments in DS9, I think. Um, and he was also the one who always got, you know, tortured or kidnapped or shot or anything like that. He was a uh, poor guy. Come on. You got to love O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> O'Brien must suffer. <laughs> yes. Um, one person we haven't talked about that uh, I'm sure I'm, I'm very interested to hear your opinion on is the one whose name changed from the beginning of the series towards the end. At the, at the beginning of, this na- of the series, his name was Quark, and then it changed to Quark. Uh, I always found that kind of funny how he pronounced his own name. Um, but uh, Armin Shimmerman did a great job. When, when Quark was introduced, I was like, oh, my God, they are bringing a Ferengi – Onto the series because we all know what Ferengi were like in TNG. So I was very concerned about that character. But I'll say, if it wasn't for Armin, uh, my opinion on Ferengi would not have changed to how much I appreciate them because of Deep Space Nine and what he brought to that species. I agree because up until that point, Ferengi were mostly bumbling, almost like Nog, uh, Mm -hmm. Rom, I mean, almost like Rom. Mm -hmm. And yeah, go ahead, do it. It's all right. Uh, thanks, brother. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, he added a, a depth and a layer, and he was the perfect foe for Odo. You know, there was that, uh, there was that that constant. Uh, well, it's like the Looney Tunes cartoon mm. with the coyote and the sheepdog. You know, Night Ralph, Night Sam. Mm-hmm. There was that kind of quality to their relationship at times, um, and I, I think that was the thing that that both of those characters needed. You know, there was a respect there to some extent, even though Odo would have loved nothing more than to just lock Quark away. Right. But Quark also knew that, you know, what he could get away with as far as Odo was concerned and, and what he couldn't. And I thought it made for an interesting dynamic by far. Armin Shimmerman has done more to, to, uh, to make me like Ferengis than, than anybody else in the whole of Star Trek. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. He, I mean, that you said it, they were bumbling fools. I mean, they were the laughing stock alien species. And it's amazing to me that when they were originally brought into TNG, they were going to be the new fierce alien that everybody was going to be afraid of. And they were a joke in TNG. Um, and he made them not a joke. I mean, of course, there were some bad Ferengi episodes and there were some, some silly comedic uh, Ferengi scenes, but he was able to really take the Ferengi and molded into something that people could really appreciate. We had characters like Brunt and Ishka and the Grand Nagus, even though there was some annoyance to him, probably just because of his voice. But um, he made Armin, I think, single-handedly turned the Ferengi into a species that we could really appreciate in Star Trek universe. He added some some mystery and some deviousness back to the Ferengi, mm-hmm. which I, I thought was what what that alien species really needed. Um, I don't think that deep space nine works nearly as well without quark, quite honestly. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And, and the whole idea of the bar, uh, in the middle of the promenade, it, it, it's, it is the perfect location for everybody on the station. I love the fact that they had that there as weird as that may sound, because, you know, in the, in the 24th century, things are supposed to be a little bit different, but how many times do we just want to go hang out at the bar? Well, you know what? They want to do it over there too. In the, in the 24th century, I thought it was great. Couldn't agree more. I, um, I, I, I found it interesting that they actually decided to cast a child 
in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, especially given the whole Wesley backlash with fandom. Mm-hmm. Because let's be honest, Wesley was not a well-liked character. Right. And that's not Will Wheaton's fault. Um, nope. it's, it's got nothing to do with his portrayal. It's got everything to do with the way the character was written. And I think that a lot of people, including myself, you know, I'll, I'll fess up and say that I was one of those people, were very concerned that they, they could make a mistake with a child character, knowing that Star Trek and children don't, or haven't always paired well together. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think you're right. And of course, um, we can talk about two children characters on DS9. Of course, Jake, which turned out to be a magnificent character. But also, at the beginning, Nog was annoying and wasn't always the, the character that I like seeing on screen all the time. His whole arc over the entire seven years was brilliant. But um, And so, so I'll put that child character as he grew up went into the very good category. But right off the bat, Jake really really hit it off with fans i think his character was was well written he it was brilliantly acted for a child actor he did some great stuff in the early years uh and even in the old times like in the visitor but we'll get back to that later at some point um yeah uh, i got to agree we know what the reputation with children in star trek has been uh and it was good to see that mold broken with jake in deep space nine well, I have to say the only reason I didn't include Nog was because Aaron Eisenberg is our age and he True. wasn't a child when he was cast. That's right. Yep. So, you know, uh, as we record this, um, all three of us are close to 50 years old and that kind of blows <laughs> my mind. Um, but I, I, I do have to say that I, I do think that the casting of Jake in hindsight is incredibly important for Benjamin because, you know, Benjamin Sisko may get up every morning and put on a Starfleet uniform, but the thing he wears on his sleeve uh, even more is his love for his son. And that informs everything he does. Right. And I think that that's, it's crucial to understanding Sisko's journey. I think. Could you ever imagine Picard showing the affection for his son? If he had one that Ben does for Jake, whether it's hugging him or kissing his cheek or patting him on the head or, or anything like that, which he does all the time in front of other senior staff. That would never have happened with other captains that we were used to. And it was great to see. And of course, I can only imagine the relationship uh, between the actors themselves was very special. There was a bond between those two right from the very beginning, and it showed in the characters. It was one of the things that really made this series stand out and stand apart for me. Because there was that affection, you know, it, it's, it said a lot to me personally, you know, because it, it caused me to invest something in Benjamin Sisko. You know, I saw what kind of man he was and I knew that he wasn't just, you know, the next Starfleet officer, you know, looking to, 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 to seek out new worlds and, and new civilizations. You know, this was, this was a man who had not just the concern of those under his command, but, you know, his, his son whom he loved as, as, as the day is long. And I thought it, I think it's one of the most beautiful and healthy relationships in Star Trek. One of the things that has always stood out to me, it's kind of a weird thing that stood out to me, but I've always, I've always respected Cisco for what he did is, is when the Dominion took over the station and they evacuated, Jake stayed behind to report behind the lines of what it's like in the Dominion. And Cisco was really pissed, but he said, Hey, He's a grown man. He can do what he 
wants to do. I thought that was a great thing for Cisco to say out loud because as a father, I'm sure he wanted to go back there and get him no matter how many lives it costs to go get his son, but he didn't because Jake made the decision for himself as an adult. I thought that was really cool. I agree hundred percent. I, um, I, I sit back and I, I just made my way through a good chunk of season one. I, there were a few episodes I skipped. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um i i may have skipped a ferengi episode allegedly allegedly Um, don't do that bill oh i absolutely skipped the Vegas. are you kidding me uh i love wallace sean but i can only take that Vegas voice for so long right you know what i mean oh yeah i Um, do (laughs) that that just means that on monday during our commute that's all i'm going to talk like in the car um, I hope you can hold on to the roof of the car because that's how you're going to get there. I, um, I, I, I know that I have some favorites in season one. Um, I know you have some favorites in season one. I think we both agree that duet is probably yes. hands down the finest episode of season one. Is that a true statement? Absolutely. Without a doubt. It is phenomenal. Uh, I love that episode. That's one that I just, you, you don't get bored of watching. It is done so, so well. Uh, Captive Pursuit is a special place in our hearts for obvious reasons. Absolutely. Um, I, I do have to say, I I really, I, I kind of like the episode Dax. Uh, that's a, that's a borderline one for me. Um. I gotta. I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, it's not one that I hate. It's not one that I love. It's it's in the middle. If it's if I'm flipping through H and I, and it's on, I may or may not stay on with it. It all depends on what mood I'm in. Yeah, I do really like Babel. The, yes, with the aphasia virus. Yep, Babel's good. I thought that that was a really creative. Uh, the crew gets sick episode. Um, at the time, I th- I was really kind. I thought that was really kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And then I really kind of like the passenger, the one where uh, Bashir is inhabited by this criminal, uh, Rayo Vantica. And um, this guy just keeps going from host to host to host. I thought that that's a, I I saw that episode again just the other day and I'm like, oh my God, I forgot how great this episode is. I loved it. Um, (laughs) And then of course, right after that is move along home, which, you know, I just, I love everything about that episode. All right, I'm going to – we've had this discussion several times over the years. I used to hate Move Along Home, and then during – I don't know if it was See It or Skip It season one for DS9 or something else that we talked about it, and I promised that I would watch it again. And I now love that episode. Um, second chap! I mean, whenever you watch that, you say that to me. I've watched it probably four or five times since I decided to rewatch it to try to give it another chance, which obviously yeah. – it did. And it's great. It's it's a fun episode. Um, I, I enjoy it. I surprisingly, I don't know if you're gonna agree with this one or not. I like Culus. Um, I don't like the character of Vaj very much, but of course John Delancey, who what what can you not what what is there not to like about John Delancey when he shows up as Q and when he fights when Picard punches him and he's got that that twirly mustache? Uh, that's awesome. I just love it. I've always liked that episode. I could take or leave that episode because I thought at the time it seemed a little ham handed, mm. um, but I, I don't, I don't hate it. Let's put it that way. I, I watched it, you know, when it was on. So, I mean, obviously I didn't have a problem with that. Um, but 
you know, um, I also have to say, I, I do like the Forsaken more. And that's the Lwaxana Troy yes. episode. I like the Forsaken. Yeah, I do like that one. And I'm not a big Lwaxana I, fan, but I do like that episode. I think that that one is is Majel's best performance as Lwaxana, um, simply for the scenes in the Turbo Lift with Odo. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, she she gets to she gets to be human, and I yeah. mean that in the and not necessarily in the alien sense, but yeah. there's a humanity about her that comes out which you never saw in TNG. Mm-hmm. In TNG, it was always that sort of, you know, Auntie Mame of the Galaxy type deal. Um, there are some weird episodes in season one of Deep Space Nine. <laughs> oh, oh, without a doubt. Let me let me tell you a quick a quick story. We we've talked about Captive Pursuit, and, and we don't need to get into that. But everybody knows who's listened to the show what Captive Pursuit means to me. I don't think I've ever told you this. The the Captive Pursuit, um, which changed my life, was when I was watching it on VHS. So it was in after it had already aired. I can tell you, I may not remember what I was doing the first, um, for the first episode, but I'm, I'm not even sure actually when I think about it, if this was its original airing or not, but there are two things that I remember watching on television when I used to fly to South Africa all the time. One was of Mice and Men, the movie with um, Malkovich. It was the first time I'd ever seen it. I saw it over there. And one night I turned on the TV and Captive Pursuit was on. Deep Space Nine in Johannesburg, South Africa. Oh wow! Yeah, and I and and I enjoyed it then, and of course, it made so much more to me later on. I probably had forgotten about it by the time things happened back and later on in two thousand. But yeah, I remember that those two things. The only two things I remember seeing when I was in South Africa that I remember to this day. One of them was Captive Pursuit. That's amazing to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, an episode that I had forgotten about um, that I saw uh, just today, actually. Was uh, the storyteller? Is that the Rumpelstiltskin one? No, that's uh, okay. if wishes were horses. Okay. Storyteller is the one where uh, O'Brien has to become a storyteller for a village. Oh yes, yes, yes. Yep. Um, and, you know, it starts the whole uh, Julian and O'Brien adventures type mm-hmm. thing. Um, yes. Yeah, I didn't. I, I didn't really enjoy that episode when it was on. It was okay now. But uh, not one of my favorites. But I have to say that I liked Progress much better than one with Brian Keith from Family yep. Affair. Yeah, when um, they burn the, when he burns when she burns the place down at the end. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yep. So so Kira has so many great moments in season mm-hmm. one of Deep Space Nine. Right. I mean, all the characters do, but you know, Nana gets so much great stuff in these scripts that I I, I understand now why I loved Kira so much early on. Right. Let me ask you a question with Storyteller. I just want to refresh my memory. Is that the one where at the end, the the, the black cloud is coming down from the sky and, and he's got to tell everybody that it's okay or something like that? Is that the yep. Storyteller? Okay. That's the Storyteller. Yeah, that's, that's not the, I'm not a big fan of that episode. <laughs> <laughs> you don't say. No, don't say. I do say. <laughs> um, and I have to say the first season ends strong with uh, In the Hands of the in Prophets. Hands of, you know, yes. The, mm-hmm. the, uh, the whole school episode. I, that's is that the first time we really see Win when she's not Kai yet. She's Vedic, I believe. Right, and she just walks in and just starts interrupting Keiko doing her talk about the wormhole aliens. Oh man, is that a tense moment? Right from the very beginning, that episode is like, oh, this isn't going to go good, and you start hating Win right off the bat. Oh, you absolutely do. Yeah, I, um, 
you know, the, you know, looking at you know, we've obviously done see it or skip it for for DS Nine season one. There, there are some really great episodes in the first season of Deep Space Nine. There are a couple of of ones that you know we we probably wish they could have a do over on, but there's some good stuff here. There is good stuff. I mean, as with every season, every every series, I should say, and I think definitely TNG, definitely DS Nine, Voyager. I don't know about Enterprise. I have to think about Enterprise, but the, it takes a couple of seasons for them to really get solid. And Deep Space Nine is no different. There are some real clunkers in season one and season two of DS9. Um, you take it all together as a whole, and of course, it's it's magnificent. But yeah, there are some tough ones to watch. That's definitely for sure. I think the thing that amazes me is that, you know, even in those first couple of seasons, you know, like, like any show, like you said, there are some clunkers, but I think the first two seasons do a really good job of establishing who these people are before they throw them into the midst of the Dominion War. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Because the Dominion War really takes up everything um, yeah. at the end of the series. I'm uh I'm doing a quick look right now at Cedar Skip at season one that we did way back when. And um, there were 20 episodes in season one. I came in at 12 out of 20 and you came in at 13 of 20. So we had 60% and 65% respectively for Seats. And I'll bet I still skipped the Nagus then too. <laughs> oh, let's take a quick look at the Nagus. You gave that a big fat skip it. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did. <laughs> I, I knew that going into it. Uh, a spoiler alert. <laughs> I um it's it's amazing to think that 25 years have gone by since since we watched this first run and you know for the first season because you know by the time you know we met as friends in 96 you know Deep Space Nine was already several seasons in and we would geek out over it every right. week yep. we'd see each other on Monday and talk about what happened on Deep Space Nine yeah, that's right. Absolutely. And it was getting really, you know, getting into the real meat of, of the uh, of the war arc and the Dominion and everything at that point. So it was definitely days that we would just be talking about that the whole time that we were supposed to be working. <laughs> oh, it, yeah. Supposed to be working. Yeah. It's, uh, well, when you're taking phone calls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm in wrap up still. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. Sorry, boss. Um, yeah. Let me get back in the queue. Oops. <laughs> Whoops. I um the more I watch or rewatch DS9, I should say, I um it, it brings back a lot of uh, of feelings and and memories and you know uh, remembering why I love this series from the get-go pretty much instantly. I I think Emissary is a solid pilot, you know, in hindsight. At the time I don't know that I understood it right away, which is why I watched it, you know, back to back. But it, it's a very layered and complex story that sets up, you know, seven seasons worth of arc for Benjamin Sisko. Because, right. you know, whereas as every other Star Trek series is, you know, sort of the crew's journey through space and the galaxy, you know, meeting new aliens. This Star Trek series literally is about Benjamin Sisko's journey. And I think that's the thing it took me the longest to learn. Yeah, I have to agree. Um, I think I originally uh, – I talked about it earlier in our discussion today that when I first saw The Emissary, I was confused. I was I was distracted by things like lighting. I thought the characters weren't, you know, working well together. But, you know, over the 25 years, as, as we've talked about, I have such an appreciation for that, that pilot now. Um, you really see what this character of Cisco is – is going to be like 
in ways that you can't see at the time. And I know that kind of sounds kind of sound strange. Um, it, it, this, this series is about Cisco. Um, it's about, like you said, that journey and emissary kicks it off in a great way. And it goes seven seasons right up to the finale where we see what happens with the emissary. Um, it just, the, the series just means so much to me. Um, people, we talk, we'll probably talk about this over the course of the year. You know, it was this insulting to me because I actually do have a red headed stepchild, but this was the red headed stepchild of Star Trek for a long time. And I found that insulting at the time. And I find it insulting now because it's my favorite series, but there's such a, what seems to be such an outpouring of new fans that find deep space nine as their favorite series in Star Trek now. And that warms my heart. I just think that's fantastic. And I love talking about Deep Space Nine. And we're going to have lots of great conversations this year about all kinds of different things. You know, I think, Bill, you can say that some of Star Trek's finest hours in 50 plus years take place on Deep Space Nine. The Visitor, Far Beyond the Stars, The Ascent, In the Pale Moonlight, and I can go on and on. It's just a great show. And I can't wait to talk about all the things we're going to talk about this year. You know, uh, before I loop back to something else you said, I've been of the belief since it aired that The Visitor is hands down Star Trek's finest hour mm-hmm. out of all 700 plus. I think it is uh, the most beautiful story. And uh, for me, it, it ranks higher than City on the Edge of Forever, which I know most people think is the best episode of Star Trek ever produced. Um, uh, at some point this year, we will deep dive on The Visitor. And um, I, I is the the one or two episodes of, of Star Trek that, uh, that I wind up as a, a mess of tears every time I watch it. I'm not going to lie. Absolutely. And I think a lot of that goes to the phenomenal work of Tony Todd. Um, plus the story, the music, the direction by Andy Robinson. It's it, you're right. It, I, I'm, I certainly don't put city on the edge of forever as one of the top spots in Star Trek history. I just, I just never have. Um, I don't disagree with you that the visitor may be the best, hour of star trek television ever yeah and then um i'll see now i'm all thrown because i got to start start talking about the visitor it's like i was going (laughs) to talk about something else before that um and i lost my train of thought so i'm just gonna go we have a whole year to talk about deep space nine i'm sure it'll come back to you we do and (laughs) i you know we talked you know during tng 30 we did talk about some things that and we we talked about the bottom 10 episodes of tng Mm -hmm. um i I don't know if we'll do that for Deep Space Nine because I think that's a harder list to to create, and it might be a, mo- a mostly Ferengi list. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we could have Armin come on and guest host that one. <laughs> uh, that will, I'm sure, that will never happen. That's um, <laughs> funny. Okay, I remember what it was now. So okay. you know, we were talking about the people who have come into in Deep Space Nine fandom over the years, and you know, we talked about this with the Nav Visitor three years ago, mm-hmm. and with Andy Robinson three years ago. You know people were discovering it then and and they were surprised just as much as we are because there's new generations of people watching deep space nine right you know it's this series is finally getting the love and the respect that it deserves not that it didn't get any before but you know it's the people are learning how universally amazing this show is on all fronts and and we saw the reaction to the um the scenes from the deep space nine documentary this past summer at stlv you would have that the electricity in that room, Dan, was amazing. People are just craving for this. 
Mm-hmm. I cannot wait till that is released. That is, th- that may be right up at the top of my list for for things I am looking forward to Star Trek related this year. I uh, yes, yeah, I absolutely. I agree with you one hundred percent. So, so Dan, that's that's kind of our, our initial kickoff of DS nine twenty five as far as Trek geeks goes. Yeah, we are going to spend a good chunk of the year talking a lot of deep space nine, like we did with TNG last year for the anniversary year. And, uh, I tell you what, it, it makes me want to watch even more deep space nine. So I imagine you'll hear more about my, uh, my ongoing rewatch as the year goes on. I suggest you, you hop on board this train, mister. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> Sorry, that's my little Odo impersonation for the evening. I was say, that's, that was really just sort of out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> I am great. looking forward to the train ride, my friend. It's going to be a great year. I uh, I look forward to celebrating this series. I, I look forward to to falling in love with it all over again. I look forward to so many great conversations we're going to have here this year on Trek Geeks. Dan, the other thing I look forward to is the fact that our friends, the band Five Year Mission, have a new album coming out very, very soon. Year four is coming. We're going to have it in our ear holes any day now, and we're going to be rocking out to some amazing music. Dan, everybody who listens to Trek Geek should head on over to fiveyearmission.net, get all of their albums in preparation for year four, because it's going to be amazing. I can't wait to hear it. All of their stuff is great. Year one, two, three. Uh, Spock's Brain. Who doesn't love Spock's Brain? I mean, Spock's, I mean, not only the episode, but the album Spock's Brain. But, Bill, we talk about great episodes of Deep Space Nine. And I got to tell you, I think this is one of the best episodes of Deep Space Nine. And I'm sure you remember. I think it's one of your favorites, to be honest with you. You know, the crew of the – you're going to remember this right off the bat. The crew of the Defiant crashes on a planet in the Gamma Quadrant. And unfortunately, a group of enemy band members has also crashed on the planet, and there's going to be trouble. And it's got such a classic line. You remember the line, I'm sure. He is on bass guitar. I am a drummer. It is the order of things. Farks and Shoals. Awesome. DS9. DS925. FiveYearMission.net. Check it out. (laughs) <laughs> all i can hear is third romanoclon going i <laughs> what was the quote again what was the quote again he is on bass guitar i am a drummer it is the order of things uh, third romanoclon wants to jam Oh, awesome. Very I can't nice. wait for morehouse to hear this one so yes please fiveyearmission.net please Support the band, show them your love. Let's uh, let's make year four a big success for them. Dan, next week we're um we're pretty excited to talk about this one. Yeah, we're very. It's not Deep Space Nine, so we're going to take a little it's break, the anniversary celebration. But uh, on New Year's Day, I was actually flipping through the channels at my sister's house, and an old friend was on TV. Viger, Ilya. New Klingons, so much more. You know, it was the first Star Trek movie, and people either love it or they hate it. So we're going to talk about it at length when we deep dive next week into Star Trek The Motion Picture. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm really excited for this because there was a time when I didn't love TMP. I'm going to be honest. Mm, I love TMP. 
I love me I, some uh, TMP. I I love this movie now, and I can't wait to talk about it at length um, because there are so many reasons why this is a fantastic film. So. Uh, that's next week on an all new Trek Geek. Stand for more great Star Trek discussion. We want everyone to head on over to the Tricorder Transmissions online at the TricorderTransmissions.com. Dan, let's see, let's run down some shows they have over there. They have Shore Leave, of course. They have Disco Trek. They have Drawing Trek. They now have uh, Trek Ranks, of course, and they have Politrex. Oh, Barry. That's right. Our friend Barry DeFord. Um, uh, they... They have so much great content out there at Tricorder Transmissions. Please, everybody, check them out. We guarantee they're going to have something that you're going to enjoy listening to. And, of course, Dan, for all the news on all the Star Treks, please visit our dear friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been Episode 125 of the Trek Geeks Podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Coconut. Coconut, not pecan pie. I don't even have any idea. <laughs> not deep space. I didn't want to say that, but I was gonna. <laughs> Bing 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 bong 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 bing bong. My doorbell's not working; it's frozen. Oh my god! Don't even get me started. So, so last night we have a we have a space heater down in the furnace room because there was one winter a couple of years ago where our our heating system actually froze because it was so cold out. It was like forty below zero, and the we have forced hot water for heat and uh one of the the pipes in the heating system actually froze so last night one of us stayed downstairs and went and checked on the heater every few hours Ugh, i don't like having a space heater yeah yeah um, they, they scare me mm-hmm. um and tonight the other one of us will do it which means me so does the space heater have a picture of your face on it because that would scare me you make no you're an idiot <laughs> So it makes no sense. Speaking of heat, and I, I take it that you don't like space, space heaters because of the possibility of fire. Is that safe to say? Uh, that is absolutely correct. Okay. So let me tell you this little story about what happened today. Today we're moving Em and Tasha into their new apartment. So we go up to my mother and father-in-law's to get a bureau that has been stored up there for some time. And I've got a U-Haul truck that we rented for doing everything. And Sue and Em are in front of me as we leave their place. And I'm behind them. And about a mile up the road from from my in-laws house there's a right turn that there's usually a lot of traffic and this truck comes out of that turn turning towards us and in front of Sue and I'm looking at it as it's coming towards me and I'm like what is that orange thing under their truck and as it passes and I look in my side mirror their entire right wheel in the back was engulfed in flames and flames Whoa. were just shooting up. I'm telling you, if that thing hit the fuel pump, there was going to be trouble because it was an inferno and it smelled 
horrible. Like I think the brake must have gotten stuck or something. It was like wow. Oh my word. Yeah, it was it was it was big fire. I mean, it was big, big big fire. Yeah. <laughs> big, big fire. Yeah, and then it I was- saw an eagle. <laughs> You're so random. <laughs> it happened right right after that. <laughs> I, I saw an eagle. I saw an eagle. <laughs> he makes things go. Yeah, it was cool. <laughs> Velociraptors, where? <laughs> but oh man, it was cold moving furniture out of that truck several times today. I I, I can only imagine. So, you know, um, my wife and I were out today, and we just we we were out during the really windy stretch mm. where the wind chill was just unbearable. Tonight, uh, in theory, it's supposed to be close to thirty below zero Fahrenheit. Wow. Uh, we're uh, with the wind. So, it, but we're supposed to get a break. But, but Friday, it's supposed to be 55 degrees. What? Yeah. You didn't see the forecast? No, I don't. I don't follow the forecast too much. Friday, 55 degrees Fahrenheit above zero. So, between if you account for the wind chill, and tonight it's going to be 30 below, we're talking like an 85 degree temperature swing. See, math isn't that hard. I well, I had to have somebody tell me that because <laughs> you know we get into negative integers and I'm not doing so well. That's oh, it was bone chilling. It was zero degrees when we picked up the U-Haul truck this morning. It was, it was, oh, oh. and then when I got in the U-Haul truck, the windshield wipers didn't work. Of course, because they were frozen. So then they thawed out and they worked okay. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was cold. It was cold. Why do we live where the air hurts our face? Hey, you get to throw in a face reference without it really being a face reference. I like I know, that. Right? Yeah, that was very good. But you, you, didn't answer, the, uh, you didn't answer my question. I I don't know. Uh, we were born and raised here. It's, we're just here. I I don't know. I'm so out of here, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. So glad you're moving down. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Jeez. So, did you catch? You know, very quick, gotta ask you. Did you catch any of the football game today? The Chiefs and Titans. No, not at all. I, I saw one play. I went to get pizza for dinner tonight, and I was at the place, and it was on the screen. The This is interesting. The quarterback threw a touchdown pass and received a touchdown pass on the same play. Say that again? Yeah. Ma- Mariota, is that his name? The quarterback for Tennessee? I don't know. Mariota, yeah. Not very good. Mariota. Um, he threw a touchdown pass. And received a touchdown pass on the same play. Didn't Brett Favre do that once? The last person to do it in the regular season was, uh, I played for Minnesota. It was not Brett Favre, but he did it in the 1997 season in week seven. But yeah, it got deflected by a Kansas City defender and it came right back to him. He caught it and ran it in the end zone. (laughs) Wow. It's a cool stat. The Titans, I mean. And then- if it's not the Music City Miracle, they're just uh, – they shine in the playoffs when they make it. Well, they shine because they were losing by 18 in the second half to Kansas City, and they still won by a point. So good job, Kansas City. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. that's Sports Talk with Bill and Dan. Yes, moving on, right along. On the Trek Geeks Radio Network. Oh, I should play the ESPN theme. No, we hate ESPN. No, no we hate ESPN. <laughs> and I'm sure Disney would want a royalty. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Then we'd have to pull it off Spotify. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, um, got, yeah. No, go ahead. I got two words for you. What's that? 
discovery tomorrow. I was going to say, what's the other word? <laughs> I'm uh, so well, when, when people hear this, it will have already happened. Right. But we can still say it now. But uh, yeah, I'm very, very excited. That's a good thing we don't try to date this podcast. That's a great job, Dan. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't want to date you anyway. Are you ready to do this? I am ready. <laughs> 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 <laughs>